pray in light of the truth. We can study the truth in God's word. We can sing truth. Because God lives, we can face tomorrow. Because Christ rose, wonderful. Well, I'm the bearer of bad news, I guess, this morning. License plate number is blocking someone in from first service. S-W-I-S-S-Y. So let's all close our eyes and we won't know who it was. No. So you, and maybe it's solved by now because there's a transition, but if you are blocking someone in and that's your license plate number, please take care of that. And along that line, I guess I'd just ask everyone to, to be extra patient in these days and uh, extra careful thinking about other people. The parking thing is an issue, uh, but we rejoice in that, don't we? We love it that we have a parking problem because that means there's lots of people that want to come and they want to feed upon God's Word and fellowship. So, again, if you can park on the street sometime when everything else is full, do that. Just be a little uh, more forbearing. Uh, We're probably going to ask more and more people individually to park down at the dentist's office where uh, some of the elders and deacons park. So, exciting times in the life of this ministry. We're glad for that. I call it a good problem. Um, but please be patient. Also, uh, the men's breakfast was mentioned. These are what the cards look like. You probably didn't get one coming in, but they're on the way out if you want an invitation to the men's breakfast. You don't have to sign up. They were just looking for a basic head count. Dwight Oswald is coming, as Dave mentioned, and Dwight Oswald is a faithful man of God, pastor Southview Bible Church and Council Bluffs. uh, Amongst friends, amongst pastoral friends, we call Dwight Fiery Dwight Oswald because he likes to get fired up. You won't sleep at the men's breakfast. Uh, if you do, you're dead. or I, I don't know what. But uh, come for that. He's going to come and he's going to speak on uh, the issue of being a godly man. And certainly that's what we want to be. Uh, wives, that's what you want your husband to be. So make every effort you can to have your husband go there and be spiritually beat up by fiery Dwight Oswald. <laughs> well, it should be a great time next Saturday morning. Tonight, remember, we're back together, and not only do we have Q&A, a lot of you asked some really good questions, uh, but we also have communion tonight. That wasn't announced, and I'd like to announce that to you so you can prepare. Communion is a great time of celebration, and it's a wonderful time declaring the truth about what Christ has done for us, but it's also a time of reflection. Uh, it's something that's not to be taken lightly. Uh, it's a time when you examine your life to see if there's sin in your life that you need to confess to the Lord. and. So if you need an assignment to prepare for tonight, you might want to read through 1 Corinthians 11. And 1 Corinthians 11 deals with the Lord's Supper and examining your life. And we want to come to the Lord's table uh, again with pure hearts and pure minds. So looking forward to this evening. Someone asked me, how long are you going to do question and answer tonight? I said, a half hour. Uh, not a second shorter, not a second longer. And then I said, well, don't totally hold me to that. But we'll do a half hour tonight. should be a good time. We've already discussed in our family and with some other families how you could strategically set one VCR and then set the other VCR once you start watching the first one. Anyway, if you need some insight that's not biblical uh, or unbiblical, talk to me afterward. (laughs) This morning, we are not going to be back in the book of Colossians. That's where we've been as a church and we've been away for a couple of weeks. We're studying that great little letter, Colossians. It deals with the sufficiency of Christ and how he is all you need as a believer, as an unbeliever too, because he can save you. Next Sunday we'll be back in Colossians looking at uh, Christian living in the home. We're going to look at the role of the wife and the role of the husband, the role of children and parents. And the way it looks right now, we'll be done with Colossians in about two months. And so if you're wondering when the end is coming, in the next couple of months, and then Lord willing, we'll start the book of Jude after Colossians, and we'll spend about two months in the book of Jude, a one chapter, a nice little book at the, right before the book of Revelation. 
looking forward to studying Jude. It deals with the faith, the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints and defending the faith should be a great time. This morning, we're going to look at an, a subject that's uh, either overemphasized in churches by pastors, or it's, and I think that's usually the case, or it's underemphasized in churches by pastors, and that's where I would fall, I think. And you're saying, what are we talking about? Some of you are probably scrambling for the bulletin. What are we talking about that some pastors talk too much about, some talk too little about? Well, this morning we're going to talk about the subject of giving. That's something I've never preached on in this church. And until we get to some of those books of the Bible, I don't plan on preaching on it anytime soon. Uh, You say, why are we preaching on giving today? Why? Why would we do that? Well, let me give you a couple reasons. At Omaha Bible Church, if you've been here very long, you know that the people uh, love God and they love His Word. And really the issue around here is what does God say? What does the Bible say? It's this this unending fascination, this drive to know what God says. And so one reason we're going to study giving today is just simply to find out what God says. I think there's a lot of confusion, a lot of history behind it, lots of tradition. It's the way I was raised, the way you were raised. But what we're going to try to do today is set all that aside and say, well, what does God say about it in the Bible? Another reason, and you may laugh at this, but it's true, we're going to study giving today. Because it's really easy to talk about giving as a pastor when you're meeting your budget. (laughs) You know what? A lot of people at this church have been very faithful and God is working in our hearts and we're giving to the Lord's ministry and the Lord is providing through that. This is not crisis mode time where I have to come to you and plead with you. We're going to have to close the doors next week if you don't give more money. That's not the case today. In fact, today's message is not really, I'm not going to be in the exhortation mode challenging you to give more. I'm not going to do that. There may come a time when we're in crisis mode and I need to do that and I wouldn't be ashamed of that because we see it in the Bible. But today is informational. I really want you to deal with what the Bible says about giving so that you can be better at it, so that you can be biblically informed to do it God's way. Uh, And again, that may cause you to do some changing um, because you may be giving a certain way and there's a different way to give biblically. So I think it should be a great time to study this. Before we get to the New Testament, because that's where we're going to be, uh, the New Testament plan for giving, I want to quickly review the Old Testament. Quickly review what does the Old Testament say about giving, just so you know and so you have a background. Does it teach tithing? Did they give 10% in the Old Testament? Well, it depends how you look at it. What we're going to find out is it does teach tithing. Several kinds of tithing. (laughs) The Old Testament saint didn't give 10%. Uh, He gave probably around 30% of their giving. You say, wow! And again, I don't think we're in the Old Testament plan, we're in the New Testament, but it's not just 10%. So see right there, if you think it's 10, you, you need to learn more about what the Old Testament says just to even know that. Now, as much as I feel like it's this close to a sin to do it, I'm going to ask you just to listen to these passages and not open your Bible, okay? Be patient when we get to the New Testament, I'll have you open it, but I need to go quickly. I, I do want to have you out of here so you can program your VCRs. Uh, and for some of you, it'll take longer than others. <laughs> so let me quickly go through what does the Old Testament teach about giving and the Old Testament plan? Well, if you're, you want to jot these down, you certainly can. But there is what's called the Lord's Tithe. At least some theologians call it the Lord's Tithe, so I'll call it that. Leviticus 27.30. Leviticus 27.30 says this, Thus all the tithe of the land, so tithing is biblical, of the seed of the land, of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Why that tithe in Leviticus? Well, that tithe, that 10% giving, that's where tithe comes from, was for the Levitical priests. 
They did the sacrificing. They did the religion, so to speak, for the people. And so they needed something to live off of. And so they had the 10% from the people and 10% of the animals. And all of these things came to do the Lord's work, the religious side of things. So what are we up to so far? 10%. So there's 10%. Now let's go to another kind of tithe in the Old Testament. I've called it the festival tithe. And many people call it the festival tithe. Jot down Deuteronomy 12, verses 10 to 11. And also verses 17 and 18. And you see there that there's another kind of tithe. And this particular tithe was so that all the people would put together their money, the 10%, and they could have this huge feast and this giant religious celebration to honor God and to have the sense of community worshiping God. 10%. What are we up to so far? Now we're up to 20% if we're adding. And I'm not saying that God's design for the Old Testament saint was to go through and add up all the tithes. But a requirement for them is a requirement for them. So we're up to at least 20%. Another kind of tithe, I've called it the poor tithe. The poor tithe is in Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 to 29. This one isn't every year. This is every third year. So all of you, you know, mathematicians, a tithe that happens every third year, so what are we at as far as percentages? 3.3%, you know, not to be technical, 3%, whatever you'd like, every year, because this is a every three-year kind of plan. So if you're adding, we're up to 23.3% roughly. Okay. Next kind of giving. There's also additional required giving. It's not called a tithe. Uh, there was one kind of giving where they would do the harvest. They would harvest all of their produce, and they would give this uh, amount to benefit the poor people. And that's in Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19, 9, and 10. I'm not going to take the time to read that. We have to guess because it's required and it doesn't say how much. So let's lowball it and say 1%, okay? Oh, there's another 1% required giving. And now another kind of required giving, just miscellaneous taxes you see in the Old Testament. One example would be in Nehemiah 10. Nehemiah 10, 32 and 33, there's some kind of tax for these people. It's required. Again, I just chose 1%. I don't know what the number is. That's low. So as you see, we're up to, you know, 23, 24, 25% maybe for them. You say, that's a lot. But you know what? That's not, not even the end of the story. There's more that they were required to give in the Old Testament. Some of you are saying, I'm glad I'm not in the Old Testament. This is a lot so far for them to give. Grace giving, as some have called that. Uh, they gave the first fruits of their offerings. That means they gave off the top. They gave even before they knew how much they were going to have total because they were going to trust God and they were going to give God off the top even though they didn't know the ultimate result. We see this in Numbers 18. Numbers 18, verses 11 to 13. It's out of love for God, trust in God. There's another kind of offering, free will offerings. The Bible does teach free will, not the way most people think of it. But there are free will offerings. And there are free will offerings in Exodus 25, 1 and 2. And again, I'm not going to take the time to read that. The free will offering is interesting, though, because you move on to Exodus 36 and you see the response of the people. And that's where the people were coming. And they kept giving, kept giving. And they had to send the people home and say, stop giving. You're giving too much. You say, wow, wouldn't that be amazing if that happened? Um, but they were into it in that degree for these free will offerings. 10% is that the Old Testament teaches? I don't think it teaches 10%. It does 10% plus 10% plus some more, you end up maybe around 30%. Some people want to make a, a, a tight correlation and say, well, yeah, that's kind of like us today with our taxes. Um, I don't know if I want to push it that far. But the reason people say that, catch this, this will be significant, Israel was not only a religious entity. Israel was a religious and a political entity. Okay? 
So it wasn't just to fund the priesthood. It was also taxes. It was also because they were a society. They took care of the widows. And they took care of the orphans. And they took care of the poor people. And they took care of these people that no one would take care of. A lot of those things happen in our culture because of our government. But the church is not a religious political entity. We are a religious entity. So it is different in that sense. So if you're, under, you're having a hard time understanding, why did they give so much? Well, hopefully it's out of love for God. But it was partially religious, partially political. Well, maybe that's just enough to get you thinking, but that's enough for us for this morning. Old Testament giving. What do we do in the New Testament? Some of you might be saying that's where we're going to go now. Surely now. Now we're going to do tithing, aren't we? I mean, they did that 30% thing then, but now we're to the new. Now we're going to do 10% tithing. Yes would be the answer to that if you're like most people who go to church. Maybe that's your answer. That's fine. Yes would be your answer to that if you're like most people who don't go to church, right? You hear the word giving in the New Testament, go up and ask us, stop the traffic and say, how much should we give at church? They would probably say 10%. That's tithing. You read Webster, you look up tithe, and it would talk about giving 10% of your monies, especially in the church. Well, sometimes Webster has great theology. But there's a place where I don't think he has great theology. Now, I know it's based upon usage, but I think what we're going to find, I really think what we're going to find, I know what we're going to find in the New Testament is it doesn't teach 10% giving. It doesn't teach tithing. It teaches giving, but nowhere, I'll repeat it, nowhere, does the New Testament tell you as a church-age saint to give 10% of your money? It doesn't even give it as, a, as a, a good standard. I mean, you may go to the Old Testament and say they did it 10 sometimes, maybe that's good for me. It doesn't even make that correlation. And so, so that may be new for some of you. Now, let me confess, the word tithe and tithing is used in the New Testament. Some of you say, aha, see, it's in there. Well, you're right, it is mentioned in the New Testament. It's mentioned six times. It's mentioned three times in the Gospels and three times in Hebrews. I want you to look at one of the passages in the Gospels. I'll give them all to you. But go to Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. And again, we're going to look at some principles in a minute, but I want us to understand that it's not 10% tithing. And that may be rattling your mind and challenging your thinking, but that's okay. Because we want to do what God says. We want to do what the Bible says. But Matthew 23 is one of the three occurrences of the word in the New Testament. Here are the other ones in case you want to check my work, and that would be wonderful. Luke 11.42 and also Luke 18.12. It's mentioned in the Gospels. And guess what? Every time it's used, it's used in relation to the Old Testament person abusing tithing. The Pharisees. They abuse this whole thing, and Jesus confronts them for it. Now, does that mean that the New Testament teaches we're supposed to do tithing as church-age believers? No. The church doesn't start till when? Acts 2. The church hasn't started yet. Jesus is getting ready to start the church when he dies and is resurrected and ascends. But he's still dealing essentially with Old Testament folks here. Here's the abuse in Matthew 23.23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe, the ads in there, mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Now, does he condemn them for tithing? No. He's condemning them for doing a religious action, tithing, but not living a Christian or a believing life, I should say. And so you can look at the other passages and they're similar to that. But it's not saying, you, today, the year 2000, New Testament church-age believer, give 10%. 
And that's caused some confusion. I won't read the Hebrews passages. I'll, I'll give them to you. Hebrews 7 is where they are. Hebrews 7, verse 5, 6, 8, and 9. Hebrews 7, 5 and 6, 8 and 9. And you know what you find there? Prescriptions for you and for me to give 10%? No. A description of what Old Testament Israel did. That's what you find in Hebrews. Describing what the Old Testament saint did. It's not saying what we're supposed to do. Now, some of you are thinking, this, you know, okay, this is interesting. I've got to do some more study. Let me just cite a, a commentator. You know, there's someone to stand next to me, so I'm not the crazy one here. The only crazy one. Um, one commentator on the book of Matthew, in light of what we just read, said this. Listen carefully. At no time in the New Testament is tithing mentioned as binding on the church or even recommended as the standard for Christian giving. End of quotation. That's what we've been saying. It's not there. It's not there at all. You may choose to give 10%. That's between you and God. That's great if that's what you've concluded. That's wonderful. But you may choose to give 50%. You may choose to give 2%. That's between you and the Lord, as we will see. Is it that sacrificial? And we'll talk about all the principles behind that. Now, in one sense, I want, I want to say, you know, maybe we should have been talking about this quieter this morning. Shh. I should have you know, not been preaching. I should have just been whispering. Because in a lot of churches, this is a secret. They don't talk about the fact that the New Testament doesn't teach 10%. I'm not questioning anyone's motives here because I can't. But maybe it's because we're terrified to think if we tell the people what the Bible says and the truth, they're not going to feel compelled to give 10% anymore and then we can't pay the bills. At least that's what I've often wondered. But I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid at all. How about let's just open the Bible and let it speak for itself and let it draw the conclusions it needs to draw and trust God. Let's trust God to provide. I would rather do that than hide the truth and somehow think I'm going to do it on my own. Just make them think 10%. Most of them don't give 10% or whatever. But boy, if, as long as we hold the standard there. No, let's just be truthful and say it doesn't teach, it doesn't prescribe 10% giving. And you know, the good part about that thing is if we're doing things God's way, I expect Him to bless. I mean, the Lord is providing in great ways and a lot of faithful people and we're not behind budget. Isn't that wonderful? But how about if we really know what's biblical, I would expect even more blessing and say, let's just tell the people the truth. Maybe we'll double our budget. I don't know. I'm so into being faithful. That's all I want to do. And I know that's how you feel too. Let's just tell the truth about this whole thing and, and not try to hide it. And again, I'm not trying to say people are intentionally hiding it, but I've often wondered. Eleven principles for Christian giving. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Eleven principles for Christian giving. And we will go through this pretty rapid fire. So you'll need to keep up on this. And The first passage we're going to look at, we'll be in one passage primarily. But before we get to the primary passage, we're going to be in Philippians. So if you would now, please let me hear that beautiful sound. And open your Bible. I guess you've already been, had it open, haven't you? You've been to Matthew. But go to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4 and see the first principle for Christian giving. If it doesn't teach 10%, then what does it teach? Eleven principles. It would be easier just to say 10, wouldn't it? There's just 10%. What's this principle stuff? <laughs> well, if the Bible doesn't say 10%, let's do principles. and It's worth it. So, first principle is give to God. 
give to God. And I think that would have been true for the Old Testament saint. It's true for the New Testament saint. But let's see it here, an example of giving to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, context is this. The Philippian believers gave Paul a gift. They gave him a monetary gift for the ministry he was involved in. And notice what it says there in verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. And you could read the verse before and after in context. He's talking about money here. But did you notice before we read the end? I have received. I am supplied. He's talking about himself. I thought we were trying to prove here that when you give, you give to God. We are. Read the end. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to Paul? No, to God. It's all to God. Here they were giving to Paul in the ministry he was involved in, but what he counted the whole thing as, you know what? You're giving to the Lord's ministry. You're giving to Him. And that should have been their drive and their motivation. I take it he's reminding them of that. Sure, we want to give to the fact that so the gospel can go out and we can do that and we can proclaim the Word of God and we can meet here and do all these things, but you're not giving to me. You're not giving to the elders or the deacons or the women's ministry, I mean, or whatever. We're giving to God. That's what we should do. Doesn't that help you a little bit with perspective? Helps me a lot with perspective. It really does. Let's move on to the second principle. Some of these will be related. Second principle for Christian giving is give liberally. Oh, I should have said that quietly too, huh? We don't like to say the word liberal, do we? You know, I don't talk about that because we're conservative, Bible-believing Christians, and we are. But here's a place where if you as a conservative, Bible-believing Christian should be liberal. You should be willing to give and give because that's what we're going to see in the text of Scripture regarding giving. 2 Corinthians 8 is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. 2 Corinthians 8, if you want to go ahead and turn there, 2 Corinthians 8 is really the passage in Scripture that seems to speak the most about giving in the New Testament. Give liberally. What's interesting is that God is not concerned about the amount you actually drop in, so to speak. That's not the issue. What we're going to find is He's concerned about what you're giving from what you have. Does that make sense? He's not concerned with the actual amount that goes in. We're going to find He's concerned with what you're giving from what you have. Is it liberal? As we will see, is it a sacrifice? 2 Corinthians 8.1, it says this, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Let's stop there just for a minute for context. Is he writing to the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians? He's writing to the Corinthians. Interesting what he's doing. I would never try this, I don't think. He's going to try to teach the Corinthians about giving. How? By pointing out another church. He's going to say, you want to know how to give? You want to know how to be faithful? Do like that church. Wow, that's quite an approach. Let's find a church that really gives a lot and they're faithful. And I'm going to say, Do you, we should be more like them. Shame on us. I mean, he's kind of in that mode. I'm not in that mode today. If we study 2 Corinthians sometime, I may be, but I'm not today. I'm just trying to give you information. That's a cop-out, isn't it? <laughs> so he's writing, be like the Macedonians. Let's go ahead and read verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That's why I said give liberally. But did you notice what that verse is really saying? Notice the word affliction. Notice the statement deep poverty and liberality. 
They're a persecuted church. They're, they're a church that has deep poverty. They don't have money. They don't have excess. Oh, we'll just cut them a check. I like to give to charities. They're afflicted and they're poor. And they give how? Liberally. That's why they're the example. They're a great example for them and they're a great example for us. What, what account did Jesus have with a particular woman that makes you think about this? The widow's mite. The widow's mites, as we might call them. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Let me just read it for you. You can jot it down. She is a woman who was afflicted and gave liberally. Mark chapter 12, verse 41 says this, And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Verse 42, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to one cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. But she didn't, did she? They gave a lot. She gave one penny. But Jesus' commentary on it is she gave more. She gave more than all of them. Then he goes on to say, For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. The point we want to take from that is impoverished but liberal in her giving. And so when we go to the Scriptures and we see that this whole example, I bring out the principle, give liberally, yeah, she's a good example for us. Good quotation again, so I can have someone stand next to me. I do this once in a while. This will be our uh, last quotation of the day. But listen to this good insight. It convicted me, and you know how I am. I like to share. So listen to a good insight on a Second Corinthians commentary. Listen. One cannot legitimately excuse himself from participating in the funding of God's work because his gifts are small. It's not an excuse. God assesses what is done not by the size of the total, but by the resources available to the giver. And that's what we've been saying. God is interested in how, much resources, how many resources you have, and based upon that, how are you doing giving-wise? Give liberally. Well, let's move on before we get too convicted by that and move to the third principle. third principle for Christian giving is give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. And now we're in verse 3. Let's read that together. Look with me if you would. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. And we'll look at the end of that in just a moment. But they gave to their ability, notice that, and beyond their ability they gave. It was sacrificial. Oh, here's what we think we can come up with and maybe it even hurts. We're going to give this. No, they took another step. Maybe two steps, I don't know. And they gave beyond their ability. It was sacrificial. And remember, he's holding up the Macedonian church as an example. So that's why we're principalizing it, taking these principles from it. Now you say, this whole idea of give beyond your ability, give according to your ability and beyond. So, what what are you saying, Pastor? That applies to poor people? That applies to rich people? That applies to middle class people? Yeah. (laughs) That applies to all of us. Because we all have an ability and we all, therefore, if we're going to follow this, can give beyond our ability. That's what he's talking about. It's great. But notice it's not 10%. It's according to ability and beyond their ability. reminds me of an interesting story. I have two farm stories today. I don't know where those came from. Uh, But this is the first one. (laughs) I hear, yeah, no amens, but yeah, the the farm issue. But this is obviously fictitious, but nevertheless, it, it drove home with me. There was a preacher who came to a farmer, and he came to the farmer and he said, Now, if you had $200, would you give 100 to the Lord? Oh, pastor, you know I would. 
If I had $200, I'd give $100 to the Lord. I said, okay, well, what if you had two cows? If you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? Oh, you, and he wasn't a cow farmer, by the way. He said, oh, you know I would. You don't even have to ask me, Pastor. If I had two cows, I'd give one to the Lord. He said, well, then if you had two pigs, he's a pig farmer, would you give one to the Lord? Pastor, that's not fair. You know I have two pigs. It's funny, okay? <laughs> you see, the point being, we, we want to be real good about giving, and we want to be real spiritual, and if I did this, then I would do this. But where the rubber meets the road, and what you have right now, today, is the issue. And is it sacrificial today? Jesus is getting at the whole notion of being sacrificial, or he is through the Apostle Paul as we're looking. God wants sacrifice. He's not concerned in the ultimate amount. Number four, fourth principle for Christian giving. By the way, the, the first hour folks were more intelligent than you folks because they laughed without being prompted. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm just kidding and you laughed. Maybe some of you are saying they're more gullible. We're the smart ones. <laughs> Why did they laugh? Number four, give voluntarily. Give voluntarily. You shouldn't have to have a spiritual gun at your head, so to speak. You should give because you want to give. And we see this in verse 3 also. Again, reading on in verse 3, they gave of their own accord. The NIV says, on their own. And it's connected to the next verse, but we're not there yet. They gave according to their, uh, they gave of their own accord. They gave what they wanted to give. It wasn't the preacher saying, lock the doors. You know, here's what you're going to have to give today if you're spiritual. No, they gave based, based upon what they were going to give. It was voluntary. Now, do mark this, though. Remember, in, that's the Macedonian church. The Corinthian church was not giving voluntarily. But they're not the model. So there is a place, even for, in pastoral ministry, for a pastor or the Apostle Paul to go to them and say, you're not doing it right. Be like the Macedonian church. So there is a place for exhortation. And I don't want to shy away from that. There may come a day when we need to have that. It would be great if we didn't. According to their own accord. Let's go on to the fifth principle for Christian giving. And that is give enthusiastically. Give enthusiastically. Notice what it says in verse 4. They gave according to their own accord as we saw in verse 3. Verse 4, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Begging. Can you imagine? What a role reversal. You watch TV and you see this guy, he's begging. You know, well, just one more call, we're going to go out of business or whatever it would be. And it's just begging to see what's on there. But here, who's begging? The people are saying, please, we want to be part of this. The word participation there in that verse, it's the same word for fellowship. Some of you know koinonia. It's working together, striving together, a partnership. Well, what are these folks doing? The Macedonians, they see significant ministry going on. People getting saved, people growing, people learning, and they want to be a part of it. They want to be a participant. They want to have fellowship. That's what fellowship really means. And they say, please, can we be a part of your significant ministry? So that's great. It's voluntary. They wanted to do that. Let's go on to the next point, and it will be... Oh, there's one other passage I actually want you to see before we do that. Go to chapter 9. Just turn over one passage. We'll be in chapter 9 in a minute, but this also emphasizes the enthusiastic level of giving. Chapter 9, verse 7, at the very end, it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, that's, that's good to know. That helps me understand it. It should be enthusiastic. 
I mean, how many times do you really get excited about it, though? Wow, significant ministry. I can't wait to give. You know, too many times, maybe in my heart, it's like, here we go again. What in the world is this about? But I, I was convicted by that, thinking to myself, do I really get passionate about this and say, wow, something big is going on. I, I really want to be a part of it, to be a cheerful giver. Well, I told you I wasn't going to exhort you, but I have to ask you the question. Uh, how's your enthusiasm today? Good question. Uh, are you pretty enthused about the whole thing? Well, that's the biblical model. Sixth principle for Christian giving. This is a long one in statement. Give as a result of devotion to Christ and the ministry. Give as a result of devotion to Christ and the ministry. And this is a great, great point of emphasis. We're back in chapter 8. The first step toward being biblical in your giving, step one in being biblical in your giving, is being devoted to Christ and being devoted to His ministry. I love this. Notice what it says in verse 5. We saw the beginning already, but then it says, but they first gave, in verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us, I take it that's the ministry, by the will of God. What did they do first? It wasn't money first. It was give give themselves to the Lord, give themselves to the ministry. A couple important things to note based upon that verse. Some observations. First of all, It's not enough to say, hmm, significant ministry out there, and I'm far removed, I'm not a part of it, I'll cut them a check. That wasn't the way it happened here. That's the easy way sometimes. I don't get my hands dirty. I'll just give them some money. In this case, what do they do? They devote themselves to the Lord first, then they devote themselves to the ministry, and then they're giving. And so there's a personal aspect in this. I think it's also fair to say, and this is convicting also, I trust and hope and pray, that if you're given to the Lord and you're given to ministry, the giving part's just going to happen. I mean, you've given yourself to the Lord. It's all His anyway, right? If I've given myself to the Lord, I've given myself to the ministry, the, the money part's easy because He already really owns the money. And so I think that's just a natural process, a natural progress. And it causes me to stop and think, well, if I'm not excited, I'm not sacrificial, I'm not following the plan, maybe what I need to do is take a couple steps back and say, hmm, Am I committed to the Lord and to His ministry? Because the other is just going to happen. I think that's pretty straightforward. Let's move on to the next principle, number seven. Give in proportion to your spiritual growth. I love this one. I love this passage we're going to look at. Give in proportion to your spiritual growth. Great text in verse seven. Let's read that together if you'd look with me. But... Just as, that's going to be important in a moment, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. That's so good that I can't just read it. I want you to study that with me for a minute. He says, just as, so there's going to be a comparison, a direct analogy here. Just as you abound in everything. They're growing, they're abounding, they're excelling in all these areas. Notice the areas. In faith, I take it that's saving faith and the faith we live by every day as believers. So they're excelling, they're they're abounding there. And utterance, in this context, I think it's the utterance of speaking about the faith. And knowledge, in this context, the knowledge regarding this faith. And in all earnestness about the faith, again, we're desirous, we're, we're excited about it. And in the love we inspired in you, that's Christian love. You go, you go through the list, those are, we might call those the fundamentals of the faith. 
They're abounding in Christian, uh, Christian graces, we might call them. I mean, they are growing spiritually. And those are the kind of things I like. Those are the kind of things you like if you're a believer. I'm growing spiritually and I'm abounding in all these areas. We say, good job. But that's not where he ends it, is it? See that you abound in this gracious work also. What's this gracious work? Our context is giving. Boy, you're doing a great job. You're learning. You're growing. You're really becoming a more mature believer. And you know what else you need to abound in? Abound in this way. Giving. That's all part of it. I would never include that in my fundamentals of faith. I like talking about grace. And I like talking about mercy and repentance and all these doctrinal issues. And I love spending time with believers and loving them and doing all this. But do I really get all excited about giving? I should be just as enthused about those things as I am, uh, or about giving as I am those other things. Is that convicting or what? It's convicting to me where I am in my life. Let's go on to number eight. Eighth principle for Christian giving is give according to plan. Give according to plan, and what I mean by that is your plan, the one you've worked out between you and the Lord. And now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Just a few points we're going to hit here rapid fire. Number eight, give according to plan. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, still talking about the same issue. He says, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What I wanted you to notice there is just as he has purposed. There's a plan there. If you don't plan your giving, you're not following the Macedonian commendable kind of giving. You know, it's not, oh, what do I have? I, you know, I like that song. I got a five. I, I mean, that, that gets a bonus today, you know, or, or whatever it may be. I don't know. It's not this just going with the flow. What should I give? No, they gave according to plan, just as they had purposed. Time for number two farm story, and then we're going to move on and no more farm things. Come up with a plan in your giving and stick to the plan till the Lord would move you otherwise. Farmer has two baby pigs given to him as a gift. Here are the two pigs as a gift. And he's excited. He's a spiritual man. He comes into the whole family and he says, Wife, kids, two pigs. The Lord gave us these two pigs. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to raise these pigs. We're going to feed them. We're going to fatten them up. And then when it's all done, we're going to keep one for ourselves, And the other one, we're going to sell and we're going to give the money to the Lord's work. So that's a pretty good answer. Pretty good statement for a father. Until one day he came in and he had the sad look on his face. He didn't call the whole family this time. He just called his wife and he said, I've got bad news. The Lord's pig died. (laughs) You're catching on. Or I'm getting better at the way I tell it, I guess. I don't know. The point would be, give according to plan. If you say you're going to give half to the Lord, then give half to the Lord. If you need more encouragement, go to read about Ananias and Sapphira uh, in Acts chapter 5, and you'll be encouraged to give according to plan. Number nine, give systematically. Ninth principle, give systematically. Now we're going to go to one other passage. Actually, we're looking at two more, and then we're going to finish up. Give systematically. Now we need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you would back up one book in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 16. If you found 2 Corinthians... And you can't find 1 Corinthians? Next week we have a class for you downstairs. 
1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians, and we're at the very end of it. Give systematically. Again, this fits with the plan. But notice what it says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 16. It says, on the first day of every week. Notice there's a method. It's methodical. There is a plan. That's when they do it. First day of every week, that's not Monday. That's Sunday. That's when the early church met. Uh, And so they got together and they, on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collection be made when I come. Now, there is an interpretive issue we need to talk about here. and uh, Keep your brains engaged, if you would, and let's talk about that. The first day of every week, that's corporate emphasis. Let each one of you put aside and save. So, notice, everyone's supposed to be involved. Not just some people, everyone. But then, sometimes people have interpreted this as saying, you personally at your house put aside and save the first day of every week. And I can see where that could be a, a possibility, but I think in context of the whole verse, it's not what he's talking about. First day of every week, that's corporate emphasis. You could have had it any day of the week if you were going to do this at home. The main reason why I don't think it's just you privately at home is because of the end of the verse. Would you look at that with me? That no collections be made when I come. If we were on the first day of the week, all privately, individually, storing up money, we're giving money at home and just keeping it there. And Paul came to town, to the Macedonians or to the Corinthians, and he came to town, there would have to be a collection, wouldn't there? Everybody go home, get it all together, and we need to have the collection, because Paul got here. So I think the best way to understand it, and that's what he didn't want. They were on the first day of the week, corporate emphasis, and they were giving, and they were storing it there. Each one of them was playing a part in it. I don't know how they kept it or where they happened to be meeting there, but I think it's, it's the together emphasis, not the home emphasis, because then they would have had to go home, and they would have had to have a collection. Well, that's maybe more than some of you wanted to know, and that's fine, but it helps us to understand the verse. Systematic, first of every. Let's go on to number 10. 10 and 11 coming. Give proportionally. Give proportionally, and we're looking at the same verse. Again, 16.2. Notice what it says halfway through. As he may prosper. It doesn't say 10%, but now we are, I believe, dealing with percentages. As you may prosper. It may even change. If your income changes and the amount you receive changes, well, then your giving amount's going to change because it's as you may prosper. And so we want to see that it's giving proportionally. Is it 10%? Hey, if that's between you and God and you've already worked that out between Him and it's what's in your own heart and you know the Lord's okay with that and it's sacrificial and it passes all the principles, great. Give 10%. If it's 50%, Great. If it's 2%, I have to say, great. Because it's an issue between you and God. But remember, it needs to meet the requirements. 2% would be, for many people, hard to be sacrificial. But you know what? You could be a multimillionaire and 50% wouldn't be sacrificial. It doesn't hurt. You're just giving off the excess. The issue in biblically, biblically is it's, it's giving something that hurts. It's sacrificial um, and it's in proportion to your income. And that's what we're seeing with that point number 10. I know one Christian financial advisor. He's a Christian who also advises other Christians with their finances. I don't think there's anything in the Bible that says Christian financial advisor, but you know what I mean. But when he doesn't really know anything about the person's budget and he doesn't know much at all, it's just standard rule of thumb for him to set him up on 11%. 
Now, it may need to change because, again, it may need to be way more. It may need to be less. But he does that just to get their mind off of the you have to do 10%, which isn't in the Bible anyway. And so I admire him for doing that. Eleven and final, final principle for Christian giving. There's certainly more to be said in the Bible, but let's end on this note. We're going to go to one more book of the Bible, and that's Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you would turn there with me. I know we're going pre-church now. If the church starts in Acts 2, but I think the principle would be true in the Old Testament. Principle is true in the New. It's always true. Here's the principle. Give to what lasts. Give to what lasts. There are a lot of things we can give to. They call our house, I think, every single night of the week, it seems like. There's so many things you can give to. But let's give to what lasts. Let's go to Matthew 6, verse 19. I love this. It's so clear. Jesus said, Do not, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. What's his point? It's a bad investment. The material goods that you can, we can just amass and have more and more of, it's a bad investment. Because it goes on to say in verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you don't know what he's talking about, the next time you wash your car and you're bothered by another ding or another rust spot, it's a reminder every single time for me of Matthew 6. There's nothing wrong with having a car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. But it's so frustrating. You think, I made what kind of payments on that? I spent how much? And just another ding and another ding and more rust. And what in the world is happening here? It's a great illustration. Where do I want to lay up my treasures? Because if I give it to the ministry of the gospel going out, the ministry of the truth of God's word, and people's lives are changed for 20 years, 30, 40, 50, no, forever, for eternity, and they're going to be in heaven forever someday, that's the best investment I can make. You say, that's really where I want the bulk of my emphasis with all my money that God has given me to be. I want to give to what lasts. That's the best financial advice we could ever have. Sometimes it's hard to deal with because we like things, but it's good to watch all of our things crumble and be reminded by that. Well, I hope this is good for you. It's good for me. And let's remember what the Lord said in Acts 20. It is better to give than to receive. That's what it's all about. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have a word that is clear. It's not confusing. Lord, as long as we will uh, commit ourselves to study it and discipline ourselves to actually see what it says, it's give, it gives us such a good pattern to follow and that we have a roadmap to live by. We don't live in confusion. We don't live by tradition. We don't have to live by any of those things. We can live with a purpose of pleasing you by doing what your word says. Give us a great day, Lord. I pray that we would honor you through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.